Amen. Thank you, guys. Um, I'm really excited to be speaking to you tonight. Um, I know, yay. Um, it was a bit of a surprise to me. Um, a few weeks ago. Um, so um, I've been praying about what God might like to say and do, and I am really excited. Um, so for those of you who I haven't met before, I'm Rosie, as Tim said, I'm part of the team here at Trinity. Um, I've lived in Cheltenham for about a year now, and before that lived in Manchester, so I apologise in advance if I say anything that's northern and needs translating. Um, hopefully you'll be sat near someone who might be able to do that for you, but I'll try and keep to words that I know southerners understand. Um, I'm married to Joe who sat over there. Um, he's great. Um, and we obviously now live in Cheltenham with our little cat called Haribo. He's really cute. Um, today we're going to be thinking a bit about Advent. Um, I wonder what you might think of when you think about the word Advent. You might think about Advent calendars, you might think about chocolate, you might think about those candles that burn down at Christmas. Um, I personally don't have one, but my mum does, uh, which is great. Um, or you might think of Christmas decorations or just the lead up to Christmas in general. Um, I love Christmas. I love the lead up to Christmas. And um, my mum, when I was growing up, did advent calendars really well. Like, she was the best. When she was pregnant with me, she spent her pregnancy cross-stitching an advent calendar for me. There you go, on the screen. I know, that's nice, isn't it? Um, so every year, my mum would fill up little red bags and hang them on this advent calendar. And as you got closer to Christmas, the thing inside the bag would get better and more exciting. So it would start off with, with little chocolate. It would work its way up to like a little treasure hunt around the house. And it would be like, I've left you a gift in this secret location. Go and find it. Like to cinema trips, to bowling trips. It was the best advent calendar ever. Even when I left home, the first year that I left home, my mum posted me the advent calendar, ready stuffed with gifts. It was amazing. And then I got married to Joe. <laughs> um, and the advent calendar mantle got handed over, which to start with went really, really well. Uh, and has slowly, sorry Joe, gone downhill. Um, <laughs> to last year when I filled it myself, which was really underwhelming because I knew where I'd hidden the treasure. Um, and then this year, this is what Joe got me as my advent calendar. Just to be clear, this is not do the same job. Firstly, because I've already eaten all of the chocolate. Secondly, because every time anyone comes to our house, Joe offers them chocolate from my advent calendar. Not cool. But it also doesn't give the same anticipation as I count down towards Christmas. I don't know that it's only, what, eight days? Maybe till Christmas Day? Is that right? Some, I don't know. I haven't got an advent calendar to tell me. Like, the anticipation is just not the same. Um, I don't know if you knew, but the word advent derives from the Latin word aventus, which means the arrival or coming. Um, advent is the season of preparation and waiting. Um, I love the anticipation of Christmas. I love all of the feel-good vibes that lead up to Christmas Day when we celebrate the promise of Jesus, the Saviour. But in general, when it's not Christmas, I hate waiting with a passion. Like, I am the person who stalks the Amazon delivery driver down the street on my phone going, seriously, it doesn't take you 10 minutes to get from that street to my house. What are you doing? I have been known to go and find him and get my package from him because I am that impatient. I hate waiting. But 
Throughout the Bible, God promises the advent and coming of his son, Jesus. And this is one of the most important events in the whole history. The almighty, mighty, eternal creator of the universe becoming human and choosing to live among us and suffering on our behalf. Now, when I was planning this, I was wondering how everyone else might deal with waiting. So I thought I'd find some stats. Um, hopefully they won't depress you too much. Um, the average human being, this is according to factsite.com, so if you disagree with them, take it up with them. Um, human beings spend approximately six months of their lives waiting in line for things. It means that three days per year is spent queuing up. The average person spends about 43 days on hold with automated customer service lines in one lifetime. What a waste of time. <laughs> Those who take public transport, will spend about 27 days of their life waiting at bus stops or on platforms. I know. The average Brit spends 10 hours a year waiting for laptops and computers to load, and 45 minutes every month will be spent waiting for video buffering to stop. <laughs> the research also found that we spend 11 minutes a week spent waiting for our phones to update. Bonkers. I can grow impatient very, very, very quickly. And sometimes I start to question myself, is what I'm waiting for really worth it? Sometimes I want the end result so badly that I try and rush the in-between journey. Um, you might have noticed Joe is a drummer. That means places that Joe goes, he takes a lot of stuff. Now, naturally, I'm an introvert, so at the end of church, when we do that whole talking to people thing, that's not my favorite part of the week. That's the part where I'm like, I want to go home to bed. I love you all, but not my favorite part of the week. Um, Joe, however, loves people, but also has about a million drums to pack away. Um, you'll probably watch this in practice at the end of the night, when about two minutes after the celebration's finished, I'm like, Joe, are you ready to go home now? Clearly, he's not. Um, and I've been known to pack away his whole drum kit whilst he's been talking to people because I hate waiting. I'm ready to go and I want to go now. And I have this phrase where I say, Joe, me and the car are leaving. So if you want to come with us, now is your chance. I hate it. Like, I'm really, really rubbish at it. So many times I've been like, I wish you played the flute, not the drums. Like, it's horrible. Um, sometimes I find myself relating to King Julian from Madagascar. Yeah. He also hates waiting. We're going to watch a very short clip. My excellent plan to action. All we have to do is wait until they are deep in their sleep. How long is this going to take? <laughs> I love him so much, <laughs> so much. Um, in the Old Testament, the advent or the coming of God's forever king, the anointed one, who would bring peace to all people was prophesied by Isaiah. Uh, we're just gonna read a bit of the Bible. It's from Isaiah 9, verses two to seven. It says, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light, and those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice because you as people rejoice at the harvest, as warriors rejoice when dividing the plunder. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire. 
For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. So that's written by this guy Isaiah, and I wonder if just for a minute we can put ourselves in his shoes. Imagine being the person knowing that Jesus, the Savior, was going to come as a baby and the world was going to change forever. Like, that's a big deal. Like, a really big deal. But not only that, Isaiah started to prophesy to tell people that. He prophesied Jesus' birth roughly 700 years before he was actually born. That is a long time of telling people something is going to happen with nothing happening. Like, that is a long time of waiting. A saviour had been promised to God's people for centuries. They longed and prayed for the rescue. And then on the right day, at the right time, Jesus was born. God made a promise, but didn't give a timeline. I wonder if we can relate to that. Well, Advent is certainly a time of celebration and anticipation of Christ's birth. It's more than that. It's only in the shadow of Advent that the miracle of Christmas can be fully understood. And it is only in the light of Christmas that the Christian life makes any sense. We live between the fulfilled promise of Jesus coming as a baby and the yet-to-be-fulfilled promise of his second coming as king. There's a quote from a guy called Karl Barth, who um, is a Swiss theologian. I googled him this week. Um, And he said, Unfulfilled and fulfilled promise are related to each other, as are dawn and sunrise. Both are promise, and in fact the same promise. If anywhere at all, then it is precisely in the light of the coming of Christ that faith has become Advent faith, the expectation of future revelation. But faith knows for whom and for what it is waiting. It is fulfilled faith because it lays hold on the fulfilled promise. The promise for Israel and the promise for the church is Jesus Christ. He has come and he will come again. And that is the essence of Advent. So I wonder what you're waiting for. Some of you might be waiting for something that was a promise from God, a promise that he's given you. It might be that you're waiting for a delivery if you haven't got all your Christmas presents yet. It might be that you're waiting for breakthrough or career development or even just for payday. And maybe sometimes we think that God has forgotten us. I think sometimes we cause ourselves anxiety by mistaking God's not yet for God's for never, for never. Um, I have two friends called Ellie and Paul, and um, we're going to listen to a bit of their testimony in a minute because their faith completely inspires me. Um, So, there's going to be a picture of them that comes up on the screen alongside the video. Um, Ellie and Paul were at our previous church in Manchester. Ellie is the children's pastor there, so explains things in an amazing, beautiful way that everyone can understand. Cool. So... The reason I wanted to play that was because Ellie explains it way better than I ever could. Um, Like, me and Joe have had the privilege of being their friend and being a tiny part of their journey. Um, And that little baby is our little goddaughter, Lucy. Um, She's a little munchkin. Um, But the thing about their journey was that at times, honestly, 
I looked at Ellie who would tell people, you know, God has promised me three babies and I believe it's going to happen. And I'd be like, wow, Ellie, that is bold faith. Like, bold faith. Um, And at times, honestly, was I a bit like, ooh, like, that's really, really bold. Um, But God pulled through because God keeps his promises. They were expectant that God was going to do what he said he was going to do. And he did which to me is a huge faith challenge. Um, If you are waiting for something, don't think that God has forgotten you. Let the birth of Jesus be an encouragement that just because God hasn't come through for you yet, it doesn't mean he has abandoned you. But how can we live in this time of waiting? One way is to praise and worship. Everybody worships differently. You might have noticed that already. Uh, Some people might put their hands in the air. Some people uh, might close their eyes. Other people might just stand there. Some people might wander around. Um, But, you know, it doesn't really matter how you worship. The thing about worship is that you're fixing your eyes on Jesus. You're changing your perspective from looking at yourself to looking at God. It's about our heart's attitude. The attitude of the heart isn't like, oh my gosh, I love this song, or this song is my vibe, or or, this song always makes me cry, because that's about you. (laughs) That's not about God. Worship is when we choose to put God first above any of our problems, above any of our worries, above any of our life dramas. And when we lift God above everything else, that's when the weight that's been holding you down lifts off. Do we feel good after worshipping? Well, sometimes yes, but that's not because it's some kind of weird self-help. That's because we're focusing on God and we're trusting him. We're realigning ourselves with him and his purpose for our life. Um, Our lives sometimes can be mapped out by hopes. We're kind of in like, what's the word? When we're children, we're taught that if you hope for something, you either get it or you don't. Those are the outcomes. Um, I don't know what you are hoping for. I don't know what you're hoping for that hasn't yet been revealed. Um, But to hope in God is to be patient with God. It's believing that your story isn't over. It's believing that there are still things to come. It's like the prophets in the Old Testament, believing that there will be a child born who is the Christ and will one day return as king. It is vital for us to remember that there is a bigger plan for our lives, a plan orchestrated by God that is way bigger than us. How many times do I get so engrossed in my own life, in my own day-to-day things, and forget that I'm part of this bigger plan? Um, This means that my life isn't my own to do what I want with. Um, When I chose to follow Jesus, like I know some of you have done, that's the moment where you choose to say, I give my life. That means your life is no longer your own. That means your life um, is to follow Jesus and to be part of his bigger plan. That means I am part of God's bigger plan. You are part of God's bigger plan. We're part of his bigger kingdom picture. We are living in an Advent season between Jesus the baby that came to earth as saviour and was hung on the cross and Jesus who will one day return as king. We are in a season of waiting that began over hundreds of years ago. The good news is that that means that our current state of affairs of the world is not final. Now, I don't know if you've noticed, uh, but I've noticed that currently things are a little bit depressing around the place. 
Um, like, do we dare mention Brexit? Um, I don't know. Um, there's fires in places where there shouldn't be fires. The, like, Chester Zoo, has anyone seen that? Oh my gosh, big concern in our house this morning about the birds and reptiles in Chester Zoo. Like, the world is not ideal. Um, there are people suffering from chronic hunger, and even in the UK, one in five people live in poverty. I'm going to say that that probably isn't God's ideal plan for the world. Um, when we work towards the kingdom, we come to expect the extraordinary. Wouldn't it be cool if we were people who, in waiting for Jesus, actively seeked to live out the kingdom of God in a broken and hurting world? Just because we're waiting doesn't mean we have to be stationary and inactive. The good news is that the arrival of God's kingdom brings some good things. It brings justice. It brings hope, freedom, peace, and joy. Um, while justice can be used to talk about when a person has been punished for their wrongdoing, uh, most of the time the Bible uses the word justice to refer to restorative justice, which is putting right unwrongful things or where people have been hurt. Um, hope, to trust in, wait for, look for, a desire for something to happen or to expect something to happen. It means that in times of despair, we can cling to hope. In Jeremiah 29, verse 11, it says, For you know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, to give you a hope and a future. Freedom. Freedom is allowing yourself to be who God has made you to be without any restriction. It means showing the world your entire being without feeling any expectation of anybody else. It's about not allowing anybody to limit you or limit the things that God has put in your heart. Um, freedom means not needing to fear the future. It means not fearing rejection. And freedom means being able to let go of all the baggage of the world. Peace. Google's definition of peace is really simple and I really like it. Freedom from disturbance, tranquility. God gives us peace. And finally, joy. Delight or great happiness that isn't dependent on our circumstances. Our world really needs God's kingdom to come. Like, really. It needs justice. It needs hope. It needs freedom. It needs peace. And it needs joy. Isaiah gave us a really good example with his life. He lived a life of compassion, forgiveness, and justice. He corrected injustices, he resolved arguments. The way he lived his life reflected that he knew Jesus was coming and that God would keep his promises. Do I live my life like I know Jesus is coming and that he's gonna keep his promises? I don't know. Someone asked me this week, it's cliche, but I tell you the truth, they asked me. What would you do if you knew tomorrow would be your last day here on earth? It didn't take me very long to come up with an answer. I was like, I'd gather all of my family and friends. We'd go to a water park. We'd eat Indian food and I'd cuddle some cats. Not all at the same time, just to be clear, but they were my priorities. After taking some more time to think about it, I was like, oh, flip, how selfish is that? That is not kingdom perspective. That's like Rosie Burgess in my own little world perspective. Like, kingdom perspective would be, actually, if I truly believe that Jesus is returning as king, then my life should reflect that. 
If it was my last day, I'd love to think that I could spend it desperately praying for my family and friends. Um, I'd love to think that I would go and talk to people about God and his goodness. I'd love to think I would surrender everything again to God. Maybe forgive some people who I'm still holding unforgiveness towards. I don't know how you would spend your last day. We're taught by Jesus to pray, your kingdom come. In Matthew 6, verse 10, it says, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now, being kingdom-focused people is countercultural. It's knowing what we believe and why. It's loving people who maybe the world would deem unlovable. It's stepping out in situations where other people might think, what the heck are you doing? But you know because you know in your inner being that you have to and you need to because that's who God has called you to be. It's about not letting injustices go unnoticed. It's about comforting victims, hanging out with people that the world might consider down and out because ultimately we know we are all just people who are equally valued, precious children of God. Kingdom means supporting the church. It means serving the people of God. It's about recognizing that we're God's hands and feet in the world, not because he needs us, but because he chooses us. And we get to decide if we want to be in on that or not. Um, some of the practical ways that I try and live this out, which maybe some of you might relate to, um, not that I have it all sorted in any way, shape, or form, but I thought I'd share them. Um, I love to pray in my house before people come round. If people come for dinner or if people come to stay the night, I will pray for them uh, because I want my house to be somewhere that they feel safe, somewhere that they feel welcomed, somewhere that they can rest, um, and I want God to meet them in my house as they sleep. So I pray for them. Um, and you know what? When I'm like, did you have a good night's sleep? And they're like, yes, I did. And I'm like, well, that's because I prayed for you. Um, I love it. I always pray for people that are coming into my house. Um, if I, I have quite a lot of um, dreams. Um, so if I dream about somebody or if I randomly get reminded about somebody, I, I assume that happens to everyone. You know, when you're walking down the street and you see something, it reminds you of somebody and you think about them. Um, I don't think that's just me. Um, I pray for them. I'm like, okay, well, maybe it's God that's pointing me to think about them that day. Maybe I need to pray for them. Um, some of you might have heard this story before, but I love it, so I'm going to share it anyway. Earlier on this year, um, I was walking into work, and somebody had recently said to me that every time they see an ambulance go past, they pray for the crew and pray for where they're going. And when they told me that, I was like, that sounds like high maintenance. Like, I'm not sure I can commit to that. Um, yeah, I know. Um, and then, um, <laughs> but this particular morning, I was feeling quite holy, um, and this ambulance went past, and I was like, okay, Lord, I'm going to pray for them today. So I prayed for that ambulance, prayed for where they were going, and prayed for all of the other people who were working with our emergency services that day. About half an hour later, I got a phone call that told me that that morning, my granddad had woken up, had a stroke, and fallen over in his house and died. At exactly the same time that I was praying for this ambulance that had gone past me in Cheltenham, he was in Derby with an ambulance crew in his house. How bonkers is that? Like, our worlds are so much bigger than our own when we choose to be part of God's kingdom. I'd love to think that I'm somebody who can see when something is wrong or somebody who can discern when something is out of place and have the courage to say to someone, are you okay? I think there might be something going on. Is there anything I can do for you? Um, 
I made a promise to myself last summer that I was going to be more open about my life and about the things that God is doing with me, with all of my friends, regardless as to whether they know Jesus or not. And you know what? That's been really interesting. I've had some of the best conversations. Um, It's great. And I really would encourage you to do that, however that looks. But to round up, when we look at the baby Jesus in this season of carols and Christmassy vibes, Let's not forget that the Christmas story is the beginning of events that have and will change the world. And we get to be part of that if we want to be. Because God loves us and he chooses us. In our time of Advent, as we wait and prepare for the coming of Jesus, are we willing to get stuck in and be kingdom people? Um, we're going to worship some more. Um, And as we do that, I really just want to encourage us to fix our eyes on Jesus. Whatever season of waiting you find yourself in, the best place to start is to fix your eyes on him. Um, We're going to do some ministry because there's a few things that we feel like God is wanting to do tonight and meet with us tonight. But we're going to begin that by collectively fixing our eyes on Jesus. So let me pray. God, I thank you so much for the promises that you gave to Isaiah. God, thank you for the faithful people who waited for the birth of Jesus. Thank you for the things that we can learn from them in our time of waiting for you to return one day as king. And God, in this Advent season, as we are um, waiting for Christmas and waiting for you, God, I pray um, that we will be able to fix our eyes on you, that we will be able to follow your lead God, that we'll be able to follow um, your call to be kingdom people, to get stuck in with your will for the world. Amen.